We're going to talk about the Ten Commandments, and today, the Lord's Day, begins with the language, remember. I think that we could all understand that that's what we really need to do in reference to this. If we were to go to the book of Deuteronomy, where the law is given the second time, this word remember is different, it's observe. So initially, as God says this to his people, it's remember the Sabbath day, but as it becomes a part of the 40-year life of the people of Israel, and they have, as it were, experienced what it means to live under the fourth commandment, they're being told now as they go forward to observe this. So remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You have an example. God did certain things in six days. Now, when the six days were complete, God gives us a testimony and an example. He ceased from that which had been a part of the routine of those earlier days. That's to be an example to us as well. Now, the year was 1960. I was in the seventh grade. My brother was a senior at high school, Lake Worth, Florida, coastal town on the east coast of Florida, directly below West Palm Beach, Florida. My brother has gone to work at the Lake pharmacy. Now Lake was one of two uh, one-way streets that ran east and west in Lake Worth. You had Lake Avenue and Lucerne Avenue. And so on these two streets there were five quote pharmacy slash drug stores. Interesting. Some of them were hardly holes in the wall. They were so small. Others were like a Rexall. One of them was a Rexall drug. Now, come Sunday in Lake Worth, Florida, 1960, the only thing that was open in Lake Worth was one of those drug stores, and they rotated it. If you went into the drug store on the Lord's Day, you could buy Luden's cough drops. That would be the furthest thing away from medicine, I guess, that you could get. But everything else had to be something like aspirin or Pepto-Bismol or some kind of a prescription. They would not sell you a Coke and they would not sell you a candy bar. This was it. This was open. Now, We have to ask ourselves about this. I don't remember anybody challenging this. 
I just don't remember hearing it. Uh, I'm sure there were what, what we might call lawless people out there that were found this irksome. Maybe people that came from another part of the country moved there or were visiting there. But that's just the way it was. Now, we have to ask ourselves something. Was that culture, of, in this particular respect, was that culture in 1960 wrong? You just ask, because well, you're living in this culture, was that culture wrong? Um, were the churches that were there in Lake Worth, Florida, were they in the wrong? Now, I honestly think in West Palm Beach, just to the north of us, which is a pretty good-sized city, the first thing that I can remember ever opening was Burger King. When they came in, they were open seven days a week. But that was, that was the, the only thing that I can remember that early. Well, were the lawmakers in Palm Beach County wrong? Uh, what about the citizenry, just the general citizenry? This was, this was the way it was. Now, we're not very far from 1960. Um, I used to work for Publix. Um, I kind of thought that I would probably retire working from, with Publix. I was loyal. I loved Publix. Publix had a marquee. They had put every Saturday night, store would close, boom, somebody would go outside and they'd change the marquee sign. Close Sunday, see you in church. Now, I'm, we're at 66 now, 67. I'm graduating from high school. I'm working for Publix. That's the way it was. Now, we need to think about what this how this command begins. It says we're to remember. We're to remember the Sabbath day. Now, do you think that today people have forgotten something from 1960? So the word opening here, remember, might be very helpful to us. Well, we might ask the question, what are we to remember? Well, I think there's a number of things here. One is the preface to the Ten Commandments, where in the preface, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. So as we think about the Ten Commandments, we need to remember this great deliverance. In remembering the great deliverance, we need to remember the great deliverer. Well, that would be one thing. You might want to say, remember Egypt. Now just think, they have been in Egypt for 430 years. 30 years, Joseph. Then after 30 years, apparently, <clears throat> that's when uh, Jacob and the children came to live in Egypt, and they lived there for 400 more years. And after the Egyptians that knew Joseph died, shortly thereafter, the people of Israel were enslaved. Now, when you think of that slavery in Egypt, do you think they got a day off? 
No. Um, I've read all of Alexander Solzhenitsyn's The Gulag Archipelago, three big, thick books about Russia in the time right after and during, right before and during Stalin's era. When the Soviets took people into their prisons, you know how many days a week they worked? Seven. No days off. It was slavery. Well, just think what it would mean. All of a sudden, <laughs> you got a bonus day. You don't have to go to work. One whole day out of seven, well, that'd be something worth remembering. If you thought back 400 and something years, it's been seven days a week of slavery. Now we're free. And God has given us a day, and it's different from work days. They should be thinking about their newfound freedom and remembering it. I mean, you have to remember your freedoms or you soon lose them. Then there's the whole idea to remember and observe the command Again, this is not like other parts of Scripture in which we say the personality of the Apostle Paul or Peter or John is inspired to write the words that they wrote. This is dictation. God said these words. This is God saying, I'm doing this. Now, again... (laughs) I think we have a hard time internally processing that this day is a gift. I think that that's a real problem for the church. I don't think they look at it that way. But God has given us a gift. Now, I... I had to train my kids. My wife is this kind of a person. If you give her something, in the next week or two, she's going to what, do you think? What do you think? Give you something back. She's a Yankee. I married her after she repented. She's a Baptist, too, and I, she had to repent of that. But that's a different story. Now, I had to train my children. If somebody wants to give you something, take it. Take it. They want to bless you. They want to be a blessing to you. Take the gift. God wants to be a blessing to us. He's given us a gift. The gift is the Lord's day. We need to take it and we need to receive it. It's a gift. You see here that this word Sabbath comes up. It's kind of a new word. Not going to find it back there. Before this, kind of a new word in the people's vocabulary. What's it mean? Basically, the word means to cease or to stop. Now, 
Chip and I had a uh, seminary professor who's Dutch, his name was Van Gemmeren, and he was the Hebrew professor at RTS. Well, he had two daughters. He had lived in Israel and studied in Israel, and he was really into making the Hebrew Old Testament come alive. So much so that he named his daughters. One daughter, the oldest name was Shoshana Sharon. That was her name. The other daughter's name was Nuri. Now, Shoshana Sharon stands for the Rose of Sharon. So it's kind of pretty. Nuri means light. So these two girls are home, and it's Sunday. It's after church. The phone rings, and one of the girls answers the phone, and someone on the other end says, This is John Kinzer. Can I speak to Dr. Van Gameren? From the little mouth of this girl comes, Abba and Mama are napping. It's the Shabbat crunch. <laughs> no, she said, don't you know, it's the Shabbat. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> and cradle that phone. You cease from what you normally do. You cease from it. Now, the idea of ceasing from something is also in order to begin something else. Now, we say, well, that's kind of, how are you going to make sense of that? Well, Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14, are an excellent commentary on what this means. So, Isaiah is talking to people who need to remember the Sabbath day. And he says, if you turn back your foot, from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. And if you honor it not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I'll make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. This is some very exalted language. It's filled with promises. It's filled with clarity of who God is, that God's holy, and that this is God's day, that God has said that this day is holy, and that we're to see the day as holy, and if we keep the day and not do our normal routine things, but set that day apart from the routine things to the things that God has for us, then God says we're going to uh, ride on the high places of the earth, be fed with the heritage of Jacob. And he says the mouth of the Lord has spoken this. It's a promise from God attached to the keeping of this, the Lord's day. Now, what does it mean to keep it holy? To keep something holy is to see that it's separate, that it's been set apart. There are things that are normally used, and there are things that are set apart for special use. Uh, in our house, we always had a china cabinet. 
I don't know why. I haven't got a clue why. Because that stuff was so set apart, I have no recollection ever using it. It was really set apart. God set this part of day, this day apart. It, it's not to be used the way we use the other days. That's the idea. It's to be used in a different that way, for a different purpose. We we talk about things like this and. There's obviously some kind of a comparative of a lesser and a greater. So there's something greater about the use of this day. Um, there's something of the common or the profane in something of the sacred. There's something of that that's found here. But the idea here is to understand that it's a gift again. Now, There was a day in the life of Jesus on a Saturday, a Sabbath day, that he and the disciples were moving together along the edge of a grain field. The disciples were reaching out, and apparently the grain was ready to be harvested. They were taking the grain heads, and they were putting them in their hands, and they were going like this and cleansing all the chaff off and throwing the seed in their mouth to eat. And the legalists of the day said, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath day. Now, the upshot of that is Jesus said, no, you, the Pharisees, and your disciples are distorting the intention of the day. And then he makes this wonderful statement, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Jews had made the Sabbath, made man for the Sabbath. Man had thousands of stipulations of what you could and could not do. And Jesus is saying it's not legalistically keeping a day. It's receiving a gift from God and knowing that this day is from the very creator. It's a day for the creatures that he he loves. So it's a day that is made by God for us. Now again, look at it in the past in reference to the Ten Commandments. These people had just come out of being slaves to Pharaoh, slaves in Egypt for 400 years. This basically means their bodies never got an opportunity to rest. They never had an opportunity to stop and worship. Well, now they've been set free and they've been liberated and they've been given this day. And this day is for their body to be built up, to be renewed, to be refreshed. Uh, South Alabama, at my first church, I had this man named Ed Rodwell. And um, when Ed was a little boy, his first cousin, Tom Britton, Tom's father and mother owned the Britton Lumber Company. And they had had this property since the early 1900s. And they had taken the heart pine lumber off of that uh, acreage and brought it to the little community of Lakewood, 
uh, to turn it into timber. Well, you know how most of that was done? With mules. So they would have Saturday off, and they would have Sunday for the Lord's Day, and the mules would rest unless Tom and uh, Ed and some of their reckless friends got out to where the mules were. And if they did, come Monday morning, the mules would be more tired than they were on Friday afternoon. I just just said, well, where's that fit in? Do you understand that the Sabbath is not merely for you? It's saying here it's for the animals. It's a gift of God to the animals. Think of that. Some of you that might go bird hunting on the Lord's Day or something like that. Think of it. It's for the animals. We need to be refreshed by rest. God's seeing to it. Folks, who's going to turn the Twitter off? Who's going to turn the cell phone off? Who's going to turn the email off? Who's going to turn the computer off? Who's going to turn all this stuff off? It's not your body. It's your computer. Constantly counseling people. Mentally, they've been run hard and put up wet because their mind never gets an opportunity to shut down. This mind is constantly being stimulated by more information and new information, urgent information, dumb information, a lot of dumb information. And we get addicted to it. And so what do we do? We just embrace more and more and more of it. Hard to believe in 1808 that the Presbyterian Church in the North excommunicated a man for delivering mail on Sunday. Same thing happened in Charleston, South Carolina with a lady who worked at a switchboard Uh, after the switchboards in the late 1800s were established there. They were serious about the Lord's Day. You can say, well, that's maybe too serious. Maybe it was. But what are we today? There's no seriousness about the Lord's Day. None at all. If you can ram and cram and jam all the stuff that you can into your life in six days and there is more to be done or thought about or dealt with, what do we do? It doesn't make any difference. We've got Sunday to catch up. That's what's happening. So for us, Sunday has become a catch-up day. It's a day for amusement. It's a day for our own pleasure. It's a day for our own idleness. It's a day for all kinds of things that we just have routinely built in to what 
is every day a part of our, our new life. Now, God's God of mercy. God gave them rest from their slavery. God gives us rest today, but we have to be intentional by remembering and observing. In the whole sense of six days, you shall labor and do all your work, and one day is set apart. Well, you see the six days today. Now, this is the way we look at it. This is a mistake. We work. If we go back to the beginning of Scripture, in other parts of the Scripture, we probably should be thinking that this is six days of creation service to God because we've been called to rule and subdue the earth, not to be lawyers and not to be accountants and not to be handymen and not to be preachers, but we've been called to rule and subdue the earth. So really, if we thought about it, well, there's six days of service to God, six days of my divine vocation in God's creation and my participation in that. Six days of my labor and giving myself fully to what is my vocation. But then there's one day that God, the creator, creator of us, creator and caller into our vocations, he made you who you are to like the things that you do and you find fulfillment in them. He made you that way. You just didn't fall into it. Well, now there's one day to thank God and worship him. Um. You see this whole idea of one in the Old Testament being the Sabbath day, and it's pretty clear. But we see it in the New Testament. It moves from Saturday to the Lord's Day. You see that in something like Revelation chapter 1, where John says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. But when we look at the rest of the testimony of the New Testament, we see the one day in six, but we don't see it being Saturday anymore. In the story of the women preparing the spices to anoint Jesus' body after his crucifixion, it said they went and gathered the spices and then they rested on the Sabbath day according to the commandments. It's very specific. Those women rested. They didn't even take the spices to go and anoint Jesus' body because it was the Sabbath day. You don't do that. But that is the last reference in the Bible of any observance of the Sabbath being on Saturday. That's it. Pentecost comes to us. Well, Resurrection Day is the first day of the week. Pentecost comes to us on the first day of the week. And then you begin to see that the church routinely met on the first day of the week. Now, Paul went to the synagogues on the Sabbath day, but he went there to witness, he went there to evangelize, he went there to meet with potential converts. He did not go there in the sense of being that being the day of worship. But it's still one day in six. So the church has been gathering on the first day of the week ever since. In the Old Testament, it was a remembrance of creation, In the New Testament, it's a remembrance of the new creation inaugurated through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the old order, it was passing away in the fallen world. In the New Testament, it's a restored order that is being gradually restored since the resurrection of Christ. 
in the old, it was the first atom. Now it's supplanted by the last atom. In the Old Testament, it was Israel, and now it's worship for the entire world. Now, another problem is you, the word you. So it says, on it you shall not. Well, that's a real problem for us. Because the word you isn't me. It's not Chip. It's not Wayne. And it's not John. It's not Jim. It's us. The word you means the people of God. Now, this is a huge part of the problem. Because we individually think that we can do what we want to do. God is not addressing us that way. He's addressing us as the people of God. So when it says you here, that's what it's talking about. It's not talking about the pagans. Now, if we are talking about this from Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we could say it's for the, the Lord's day is for the whole world. But here in the book of Exodus, it's directly for the people of God. So God is speaking to the people of God. Now, look at it from the biblical perspective. Whose world is all of this? Well, we say it's God's world. All right? It's a fallen world. Christ has come, and through Christ, God has become the what of the world? Savior of the world. So now this is a saved world, and it's God commanding his people. Just It's God's command, but it's God's command to his people. And we've got to think that way. Here's the way we tend to think. This is an evolutionary world that's dominated by evolutionary thought, and we're just kind of folk that are stuck in it. That's the way people think in the church. Then the other thing that we think, instead of this being God's salvation, the way it's thought about is my personal spirituality, the way I want to relate to God. Well, that's just dumb. There isn't any such thing. The only acceptable worship is the worship that God has ordained that he will accept. And then it's this idea of not commands, but something like Ted Turner. You remember what he said? The ten what? Suggestions? Well, the problem with that even today is with multiculturalism, Islam's got suggestions and other religions have got suggestions. And now these suggestions are all on the same playing field culturally. We're the people of God. God has saved us. God's commanding us, and it's the people of God as opposed to pagans. Now, just in closing, there's a powerful God, the God of the universe. This God is the loving God of our salvation. He's the Father who knows best. He speaks to his people, but he speaks to us as the people of God, his people. How does Jesus say it? Love me and keep my commandments. Now, as not as individuals, but as the people of God.
We're to be salt in a corrupting. We're to be light in a dark, Satan-darkened world. How do we do this? By being the people of God on the day of God's delight. Where we learn to delight in the Lord our God. No delight in the day. No delight in God. We seek delight in other things where delight can't be found. And you see the futility that's all around us. How did Jesus work keep the Lord's day? Well, over and over we see in his life that he worshiped with the people of God. That's the principal thing. Second thing that we see that he did, he spent time with his own disciples. Third thing, he did acts of mercy. You know, I go to a nursing home. There's dozens of nursing homes, and they need you. So he healed the blind. He healed the crippled woman. He did acts of mercy. Then we see that he was raised to life, and he accepted worship. On the Lord's Day, we see that he poured out his spirit on the Lord's Day. He allowed and accepted the day to be changed so that the public worship of God should be on the first day of the week. We look at the example of God from creation. We look at the example of Christ from resurrection. We're to keep the day. It's a gift. As we keep it, we'll delight in the Lord And we'll learn in our culture to ride on the high places of the earth, and there'll be no better witness to the decaying world around us. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this, help us to be encouraged that you've given us such a great gift. Help us to receive it. Help us to look at it afresh. See what the scripture says and begin to shape our lives and the lives of the churches that we lead into conformity with what your word so clearly teaches. Now we ask you for your blessing on us. In Christ's name, amen.